This is a Founding Media Podcast. Welcome to the Packing Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Axel Babbitt. Our guest today, and a really good friend of mine, is chef and restaurateur David Cordua. A native Houstonian, David was raised around food. As you'll hear him say, he started out in the back of the house as a dishwasher, but quickly moved into the kitchen. David and I discuss how travel and education moved him back home to work with his family's restaurant group, and using it as a launching pad for new projects and ideas, like the creation of his new company, Michael and David Cordua Hospitality. We also dug into the origins and importance of Texas barbecue and why other grilling techniques are becoming so popular in Texas. Side note, we'll probably have to record a whole other episode on just that so we can really geek out together. Let's jump right into the conversation with David. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Packing Taste. Today on the show, we have a very good friend of mine, Chef David Cordua, who hails from my hometown, so this is definitely going to be a good episode. Um, David is a chef in Houston who studied French culinary art and then took over the Houston scene from, I think it was your family's uh, company or your father's company, and we'll get into that, but you guys started translating South American cuisine for the, uh, the Houstonians, and it was a total hit. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on the show, David. What's up, Axel? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. I'm glad we're both in Austin at the same time and we can uh, sit down and have a little chit chat. But if you can start by telling us a little bit where your family's from and how the heck you guys got to Houston. Uh, so my family's from, from Nicaragua. Uh, my parents came uh, to Texas to, uh, to go to Texas A&M. Uh, which is actually a popular university in Nicaragua because of agriculture. Um, A&M is. Texas A&M, yeah. They have a, a good-sized Nicaraguan popu- population in their student body. And the revolution started in 1979, um, you know, towards the end of their junior year, uh, and weren't able to go back home. Um, they got married in Houston in 1980, and uh, I was born a couple years after that, and uh, we haven't been back since. I mean, we spent some summers there, um, but uh, most of the family's in the United States at this point. And you're you're not an only child. You have sisters, right? I have three younger sisters. Younger yeah, s- but yeah, we you're were the all, oldest. All all born in 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 Houston, all native Houstonians. Nice. And you guys, I, I think I always tend to think that every South American family just cooks all the time, but you guys were specifically very involved in the restaurant scene in Nicaragua, right? D- did you guys have a restaurant there? Yeah. Or? So my, my dad's uncle had a restaurant called Los Ranchos, um, which specialized in the Nicaraguan version of, the, of churrasco. Uh, so churrasco is mostly associated with South America. Not not Central America, um, Argentina specifically, uh, with their different cuts of meats and chimichurri, uh, Brazil with their picanha, um, with big chunks of rock salt and, and chimichurri on a on a rotisserie, 
in uh, in Nicaragua, it's a little bit different, and there's a, a very interesting story of how churrasco got to Nicaragua. Um, they use uh, tenderloin and butterfly it open to kind of mimic uh, the skirt steak that is mostly common in, in Argentina. Um, so you're taking the most tender cut on the steer, uh, tenderizing even more mm. by butterflying it open, uh, adding more uh, texture to it for chimichurri to adhere, more surface area uh, to hit the grill. Uh, so it's a really unique steak that you'll only find in Nicaragua, uh, in Miami because of the large Nicaraguan population, um, and in Houston because of uh, of our family. Yeah, and so your father your father came here, and the churrasco that style did that kind of inspire your father to open up a restaurant. So he first went to Miami. Um, and his his thought was to franchise Los Ranchos, which had a uh, an offshoot in in Miami. Yeah. Um, and uh, he wasn't crazy about it. He did he didn't love what they were of. He wasn't crazy of Miami or the restaurant concept. The 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 restaurant concept and the Miami version of Los Ranchos. Um, so decided to do uh, his his own brand. In, in 88, spent about two years in incubation. He was self-taught. And, uh, you know, I, I remember him practicing recipes on us and family and friends uh, for, you know, years before uh, we perfected kind of our version, um, which was the center cut of the tenderloin only, um, aged at a minimum of 21 days, uh, which tenderizes it even more. Um, and what resulted was uh, something Houston had had never seen before. Uh, the first customers came in looking for, you know, fajitas, enchiladas, and nachos, and of and, course, and walked out the door. Um, but within uh, a month or two, there was a line around the building, um, and some some incredible write ups, and uh, that was the the beginning of of our story. That was like. When you guys were like, okay, there's something here that hasn't been done yet, right? Right. Our, one of our first slogans was uh, further south than you've ever been before. Yeah. So, so of course, our Texas listeners are very familiar with the Mexican food we all have here. And that's, that's South America to a lot of Texans. But Texas being so big and, and cattle and beef and grilling, I'm sure – in, in the late 80s, early 90s, even the 2000s, people are coming to Churrasco's, which was the first restaurant, right? And having their minds blown with the super tender, juicy steak with an incredible sauce finish. And you're like, this is as good as what French cuisine. Yeah, but like, why hasn't my meat ever tasted <laughs> like this? So it went from Churrasco's I'm sure a lot of our listeners know about churrascos in, in the Houston area. And then Americas and what other places were you guys opening up? So we opened Americas in, in 93, which uh, was uh, Best New Restaurant by Esquire Magazine uh, by John Mariani. Um, then we opened Amazon Grill, which was our fast casual in 1998. And Artista, 
which was uh, in the theater district in Houston. Yeah. Uh, and the Hobby Center. Um, and at what point, like, at what point did you guys have a ton of restaurants open? And how many, do you remember how many that our was? At our largest, uh, which would have been, you know, in 2014, uh, we had eight locations uh, and a catering division, um, as well as the uh, catering contract for the Houston Texans. Okay. And you guys, well, you weren't, how involved were you at this point? And was it your father who was kind of founding all these restaurants and starting them up? So... I started working in the restaurants when I was 15 uh, as a dishwasher. They had you hustling. Yeah, and I uh, absolutely hated it. Um, I, uh, I spent a lot of uh, my late teens and early 20s uh, backpacking. Uh, I did Southeast Asia, um, Europe, and kind of uh, got the cooking bug through, through travel. Um, and opened the Hotel Valencia uh, from the Valencia Group in San Antonio in San Jose, California, where I was uh, getting my undergrad degree. Um, that's when I started cooking and um, worked in San Francisco, Napa, Sonoma, uh, and then did culinary school after that in Paris. And then 2008, uh, moved back to Houston to open the second America's location, um, and then opened uh, three more Trosco's locations after that and launched our catering division. And, and during that time, was your dad like, hey, come back, come help us out? And you were like, no, I'm going to keep backpacking and I'm going to stay in San Francisco and I'm going to keep doing my own thing. I resisted coming back as, as long as I could. I, I definitely wanted to bring uh, something of my own to the table um, as opposed to just kind of con- continuing uh, and repeating what we had already created. Um, the catering division definitely allowed me uh, a lot of room to uh, to kind of stretch my legs and, and, and try new things that I could incorporate into all the different concepts. Um, so that, that was really cool, having so many different um, concepts that, you know, any, any new idea that I had, there was, there was a, there was a place for it. It's, it's good to have a a platform where you can kind of honestly express yourself through what you were doing was food. Um, and having churrascos and Americas and Amazon, you're right. Like if you want to do something quick and casual, it's like, Oh, I'm going to do this in Amazon, or I want to do something a little bit more fine dining. I'm going to do this in Americas. Um, a lot of opportunity. And Churrascos and Americas were both South American. Was Amazon Grill South American based? Or yeah. Or was it? Yeah, it was uh, It was very... Um, I remember going a bunch when I was younger on the the one on Kirby, but I don't remember what I'd eat. So so none, none of our restaurants, and I would say even Churrascos, are, are country specific, uh, but they they definitely... It definitely expanded geographically as as we yeah. continued to grow so uh churrascos was was most mostly rooted in our in our nicaraguan background whereas america americas was uh incorporated you know some of mexico uh more more of south south america specifically uh peru um amazon grill uh you know was really kind of street food mm-hmm. uh, focused and 
had a lot to do with with presenting food in a, in a very kind of whimsical, almost carnival fashion. We served cotton candy and tacos and in yes. cones. Okay. Uh, there was tabletop s'mores, and uh, it was it was uh, a lot a lot about fun and and very uh, kid friendly. Um, Artista in the hobby center was where um, I got to incorporate a lot of the different ethnicities uh, that in Houston that I, I I grew up eating. So yeah, v- Vietnamese cuisine, Indian Indian cuisine. You know, you'd still sit down and have the plantain chips um, that are were kind of kind of our signature at all of our restaurants. Uh, but the cu- cuisine was v- less ethnically restricted. Yeah. And so what, I mean, what was at the time, what did all that mean to you? All that food, being around all that food, like how, when did you know it was like, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep being involved with food. I want to be a creator, a crafter. Was it watching people smile or was it laughing at people when they try to pronounce a word in Spanish? Like what, what was driving you? What, What did the food mean to you? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, I think I think like anything that you're that you're really into and, and brings you joy, it has to be something that you can't get enough learning about. And and food is definitely one of those things. Mm-hmm. You can never you can never stop learning. You can never know it all. There's always a different method, a different technique. Um, I think that's one of the things that I love uh, most about it. I love that it's a universal language. Um, it's something that kind of connects all all cultures. I think that's what got me into it in mm-hmm. in the first place through through travel. Um, what, what, but there's also yeah, there's also a, a performance aspect to it. Uh, I was uh, you know a, a musician before I started cooking professionally, and I got a lot of the same satisfaction of that instant gratification that you get from. Um, you know, putting something in front of someone and seeing their immediate reaction. Yeah. Um, that can, that, that satisfaction can be uh, pretty addicting. Yeah. And w- w- that's a good point <clears throat> to kind of gateway into this. I, so as, as, the, as the listeners know, I do CPG and we do packaged food. And we get so focused on all the little details and like, oh, is our label correct? Is our lid functioning properly? Is our media up to date? That sometimes I feel that I forget about the fact that I'm doing this as an art form, that food is the way I express certain things in my life, my culture, my ethnicity. And with chefs and restaurants, like that's so in the forefront of what they're doing that I try to like remember, like maybe I don't consider myself a chef, but I'm like Axel, you're a cook. This you're expressing yourself with this, and I don't know that I really appreciate that from chefs. Do, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Totally. Like, yeah, I I, th- I think it was Anthony Bourdain who said it, and and I, it really resonated with me that you know he he doesn't call cooking a, a an art form. He calls it a craft, and and the distinction that he makes is that an artist has the uh, the luxury of waiting to be inspired and to do thing one time. Um, you know, a a a painter, uh, a, a musician uh, documents something one time and then has 
residual benefits from doing that thing just that one time. A craftsman, a, you know, a, a carpenter, you know, anyone that works with their hands has to do something over and over and over and over again. And it has to be done exactly the same way. Um, so I, I, I like the term uh, uh, cooking as a, as a craft a little bit more than, than, than art being an, an, an art form. Um, yeah, there's 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 uh, an artistic element to it in in terms of you're combining um, things that maybe haven't been combined before. Um, there's a lot of room for for creativity. Um, you're you're trying to draw an emotion out of out of someone. Yeah, I, I guess that's why I think art is because there's a lot of emotion and connectivity with you, the medium, and the consumer. Right. Yeah. At the end, at the end of the day, you're trying you're trying to you're trying to move somebody in 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 some way. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to serve somebody some food, and you want them to be happy, right? You yeah. don't want them to not have any emotion. Um. Anyways, yeah. That's. That, but it's food. I mean, we can't we can't take it too seriously. Yeah, and either, you're not supposed either. to. You're not supposed to. But it's it's good to feel like to remember that I'm sharing something that means something to me at least. Right. Yeah. Yeah, at at the end of the day, what you're what you're doing when you put a plate in front of somebody when you're creating a dish, you're telling them, "Hey, this is what I'm into right now." Yeah, it's a very I vulnerable. Really, thing. I really dig this. I think you will too. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on here, and this kind of came up last minute, but I really want to talk about why grilling is so important here in Texas. Is or, well, yeah, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to talk about. Yeah, the the Texas food scene, I don't even know how many cattle we go through, but we eat a lot of meat. Barbecuing is huge here. And I wanted to ask you, why do you think it's so big here? Why do you think every Texan loves barbecue so much? Other than it's amazing, obviously, it tastes delicious, but why is it so big in our culture? I don't. I don't know if it's if it's specific to to Texas. I think the the beef centric uh, barbecue is definitely specific to Texas because of our 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 background, our history with with cattle and 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 the cowboy. But um, you know, the hearth, fire, smoke. I think is just kind of in our DNA as as human beings, and it's something that that we're, we're drawn to, um, Texas. I mean, when I think of Texas barbecue, it, it definitely is, uh, it's, it's brisket. The first thing that comes yeah. to mind, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's our history with, with worshiping and paying homage to, uh, to beef really. Um, but I don't know if that's specific to Texas. I think uh, the gr- grilling grilling overall is just something that's in our DNA as humans. Yeah, I, I think I think I wrote about something like that. I think, it, and of course I wasn't even citing anything, but I was saying, yeah, it's in our, like I'm a gen- geneticist or whatever it's called. Like, yeah, it's in our DNA to grill, to burn things. But uh, we can't say that in... You know, New Yorkers, 
and don't don't hate me, but we can't say New Yorkers grill more than Texans, can we? Can we say people from Wisconsin grill more than Texans? I, I really feel like one of the th- other than you know the cowboy hats and the horses when people think of Texans, barbecue is definitely something that pops up. So there there is a connection there, and I never really took the time to think about why it's so big here. No, you're you're absolutely right. I, I mean. Living in in and working in in Paris for two years, I didn't I didn't grill once. Yeah, you know, and and, and to be honest, when I when I moved back, um, I'm way more comfortable uh, working with um, a cast iron saute pan over a stove and, and an oven, mm-hmm. um, and having and having that that level of of control. Um, if there's one thing about about grilling is that you're you're dealing with this living element, which are you know these embers, these coals that are not consistent in heat the entire time. Uh, there's a lot more variables. Um, it, it does it does it does you know bring a lot of challenges that you don't necessarily have with the control of you know a set stove setting or a, a set microwave oven, oven heating. <laughs> Yeah, the microwave has its place as yeah, well. It does. Don't, don't don't knock the microwave. Don't knock yeah. the microwave. I, I, but but we're talking, you know, but when we're talking about grilling, you, you're dealing with this other living element that uh, that yeah, there's adds this this these variables that uh, that aren't there with the controls of a stovetop or an oven. Yeah, and. Um... So you re- recently did a, a mini episode on the different cuisines in Houston, right? Um, what, what was that called? Uh, so it was the Houston Cookbook on on PBS, and uh, it it really was about highlighting um, the different cuisines and and cultures um, that are in Houston. I mean, you can eat out every day in Houston. And it's only scratched the surface of of what's out there. I mean, it's Ethiopian, Pakistani, uh, Vietnamese, uh, and it's incredible how uh, effortlessly um, the the cuisines like fuse fuse together. There's um, a, a great chef called uh, uh, Kaiser uh, Lakshmi at Himalaya. Who's doing Pakistani fried chicken? Um, there's uh, a, a group of Vietnamese buddies that grew up together um, in A Leaf that are doing uh, Asian style Texas barbecue, um, and it's you know it, the term fusion used to be used back in the '90s and kind of became a bad word among chefs, and uh, in Houston, it's just it really is something that's authentic to us because it's what we grew up eating and uh i think that's what we tried to showcase in in the houston cookbook was uh you know there there is something called houstonese cuisine yeah uh, the 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 interesting thing is you're right that word fusion we tended to use as like oh oh we're not going to go there it's a fusion restaurant no 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 but in is it called fusion confusion? Yeah, but in, in Houston, and I think even Dallas and San Antonio and and you know some of the bigger cities in Texas, or even some of the smaller cities, this different culture comes in with um, their culinary background, and 
they're meshing in the Texas cooking technique or Texas barbecue or Texas this. And it seems to be working very well for a lot of places. And again, specifically in Houston, there's such a mix of uh, two cultures coming together and putting their food on the same plate. And one of the examples we always talk about is uh, the crawfish. Yeah. The, the, the Viet Cajun crawfish. Um, it's the only type of crawfish I eat now. Yeah. And I, I think after, after Anthony Bourdain came to Houston and did an episode about that, the, the price per pound of Viet Cajun has gone up so much. The price of crawfish yeah. is insane now. It used to be $1.50, $2 a pound when I was in high school, and it's... Yeah, yeah, it's like ten dollars a pound now. So, so why do you think why do you think Texans are so welcoming to this this enmeshment or this uh, fusion of of like culinary foods coming together? You know, when we opened the first uh, Americas, the, the the walls of the restaurant were in a uh, a three D pattern of of a woven basket, and. The symbolism behind it was uh, that instead of being uh, a melting pot, the Americas being a melting pot, as, as it's often called, that we really were more of a, of a basket uh, of all these cultures interwoven together, um, but with each one retaining its its background, its heritage, uh, and it and its roots. And I think it's a, it's a really good. Um, metaphor for for what what Houston is uh we're we're all interwoven interwoven together but still um retain retain our our roots and and to answer your question about why why Houston you know in the late 80s when we introduced uh South American cuisine uh to the city or novel latino cuisine um it was very receptive I, and I, I don't know if we could have done that in uh, in any other city uh, other than Houston. It just it's so it's so welcoming. Um, did did it, the did the sorry to interrupt, but did the large Latin American community help or because I th I think even like normal like eighth generation Texans were so about that cuisine. No, to to be honest with you, I, I think we we purposely tried not to cater to the Latin American community in Houston. Um, we never tried to be authentic to anything from back home. It, it really was about creating a new a new genre, mm -hmm. uh, which was South American dishes, South American ingredients with with French technique. Uh, and that's a, a large part as you know to why I, I, I moved to France. Uh, and and got trained there, um, so I can kind of bring that discipline uh, and apply it not just to South American, um, but to to all the cultures that are that are in Houston. Yeah, why why um why do you think South American food is on a strong come up in Texas, um, specifically uh, like the meats and the grilling techniques? Like you mentioned earlier, the pecan. Picanha, the Brazilian cut, the churrasco, the South American cut. Why is that gaining so much popularity? You think? Well, I think I think a, a you know a, a large part of the 
the reason why Houston is so diverse is because of the the oil and gas industry. Um, we do have a huge Venezuelan population for that reason, a huge Brazilian population for that reason, um, and they're bringing they're bringing their cuisine with with them. Uh, so I mean that that first and foremost I think is the reason why you're seeing a lot more churrascarias pop up. Uh, because there's just more South Americans in what, you know, what do they call Katie, Katie Zuela? Oh, yes, yes. You know, I mean, that, it, that's a suburb outside of uh, Houston, um, Katie Zuela. There are a lot of Venezuelans there. There's a lot of Venezuelans, yeah. a lot of Brazilians. I mean, my my neighbors throw these huge Brazilian, you know, parties and they're, they're grilling all day, all night. Um, it, and it, it, it does have a lot to do with, with, uh, the petroleum industry. Yeah. And like, like you said earlier, I feel like a lot of these people come here and they, and they're cooking or they'll have friends over and they're not really doing it for their other Brazilian friends or their other Nicaraguan friends. Like you said, when you were at the restaurant, you guys were like, no, we're going to do something completely new for the people here that that are already here and naturally that it, it was so successful everyone was eating there right um yeah it, it just fascinates me how interested texans are nowadays to me at least um with with different styles of eating meats well you're a, you're a testament to that as well i mean uh you know 20 years ago chimichurri was something that people had a hard time pronouncing yeah and and you know now you're uh you're introducing it into people's homes and in in the supermarket um the the pickled onions that you do as well which is is something that is eaten with every steak that we have in in nicaragua you know you're you're, you're bringing that you're bringing that to uh to the to the the, the dinner table in, in in people's homes so so thanks for what you're doing. <laughs> of course, I'm doing. I'm doing it for you guys. Um, no, but it, it, it's easy for me to do it because there has been restaurants like yours, or there's been other chefs from South America that come and have put pickled onions on tacos, and people try that and are like, "Wow, this is freaking amazing!" I've always needed this on my yeah, taco. Yeah, exactly. Where have you been? And um, same with chimichurri or churrascos. And, you know, I was I was having barbecue yesterday with my family and we're sitting down and they bring the barbecue and there's raw like a tray of raw onions and another little cup of just uh, pickles. And I'm were you missing some acidity? Well, no, because I had my pickles and I had my onions and I'm like, this this is the same stuff uh, from. I don't know. It, it like, yeah, it wasn't the pickled onions I make. Yeah, it wasn't the. uh the, the acidity I add to my meat, but it, it's all there. The vinegar was there. The acidity was there. The salt was there. The sauce was there. It's just a different translation, you know, the Texan translation or the Argentine translation. Um, you know, the first lesson that I that I remember that my, my dad, again, a self-taught chef, taught me was the concept of, of the vinaigrette and its, its application to all foods. So what is a vinaigrette, right? A vinaigrette is one part acid, three parts fat. You can take that ratio and apply it to any dish that you create, any sauce that you create. 
there, that's there's that magical ratio that makes the mouth happy. Yeah. Right. And when you're talking about grilling, you're usually talking about uh, some pretty fatty, fatty foods, fatty meat, you know, delicious fat. But you do need that acidity, and that's uh, that's what you bring with the pickled onions. That's what you bring with, with with the chimichurri, uh, and it's you know it's not it's incomplete without it. it I I think so, yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of other people are realizing that as well. Um, so can you share some of some uh, I guess support systems or hurdles that you've faced in Texas? We're we're saying how like great and open people are to just eating any type of meat or any type of grill out. But have you seen any like pushback from certain styles or certain techniques? Or have you seen something, some things that really are working, some new things that are coming up? For, for me, my challenge was, you know, coming into a, a mature restaurant group uh, that had been around for, you know, over, over 20 years when, when I joined, um, I had I had a lot of freedom to uh, introduce uh, things that I had experienced in my travels and in my training, um, but it was breaking them away from, you know, the dishes that they they they'd come for 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 twenty plus years. I mean, in in, in our kitchen, fifty percent of our tickets were the churrasco, the churrasco, the churrasco. Um, so I do feel a, a, a little bit of a sense of liberation now um, that I uh, am, you know, creating uh, new, new, new restaurants, new brands, new dishes that um, are a little uh, less ethnically bound um, and, and tied to, to very specific dishes. So uh, excited for this next chapter and uh, uh, stay tuned. And yeah, we're, we're going to have to see how our listeners can follow along to see the new concepts coming up. But what, I guess we have to wrap up soon, but what, do you have any advice for, for ethnic food makers, people who are doing, um, or doing these fusion techniques or, or bringing their traditional food here to Texas? Do you have any advice for them, um, to connect that with Texas residents and Texas folk? Um, have you seen something work specifically? Do you have to just repeat the word chimichurri over and over again? I, I think the, I would give this, the same advice to to you know any chef in, introducing uh, a new a new cuisine or, or a new dish. Whatever you do, it has to be something that you are authentically and genuinely into yourself. You can't cook something properly if it's not something that you inherently and deeply love and have to share uh it's got to be something that you you can't keep to yourself you absolutely have to try this this is insane it has to be authentic it can't be something that is that you're trying to replicate from back home that you're trying to replicate from another uh cuisine or culture um it has it has to be something that you are crazy about first yeah, I think one of one of the themes of the sh- of this show has been authenticity, right? Can we say that, Mariah? Um, I think being you're right, being authentic to yourself and what you're doing, maybe that is the best way to 
introduce new things to people that have never tasted something before. To me, that's the only authenticity that matters. Yeah. I mean, authenticity is a word that's thrown around that, you know, what is what is it really? The only thing that is authentic is what's authentic to you and, and what what gets you off and what 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 can you not not share with other people? Beautiful. And lastly, my question I ask everybody. Um, so on a day to day basis, there's things that we have to do, right? So how do you manage what you want to do, which is probably just mess around the kitchen all day and make a bunch of new dishes. So how do you manage what you want to do with what you should do with what you have to do? Um, I like to think of it as, a, as kind of an access. Access. Uh, first of all, are you uh, are you into it? Right? Do you, do you like it? Um, secondly, are you are you good at it? Because you can really like something and be no good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, and then lastly, uh, are are people willing to pay for it? Um, to me, those are the th three most important components. Do you love it? Are you good at it? <laughs> and does it add value that someone that someone will give their hard-earned dollar uh, for it? Beautiful. Again, beautiful, beautiful. Um, but I think those are all the questions. I mean, I have a lot more questions, but, you know, we, we got a time here. Um, I think that's a, a good stopping point. But I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Always love talking to you about food. I think we that's the main thing we talk about. But, um, yeah, can people follow you and your next concepts that are coming up on Instagram? Is there a newsletter? Yeah, you can follow me at, uh, at David Cordua on Instagram um, and David Michael Cordua Events on Instagram as well. That's our uh, catering and events company. Um, and if you were looking to have an event in Houston, uh, you can find us at dmcordua, C-O-R-D-U-A dot com. Beautiful. Yeah. So if you guys want to eat really good food, um, you know who to hit up now. You're going to slide into those DMs. And the TV show is the Houston Cookbook, uh, and you can find it on on the, the PBS app. There you go, guys. You guys have a look at that. Stay tuned to uh, what David's going to do next for us Texas folk. And again, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, brother. Thank you again, David, for coming on the show. I had a blast. We will link his Instagram and other social media platforms so you guys can keep up with David Cordua and see what might be coming to Austin in the near future. The Packing Taste team includes me, Axel Brave, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you everyone at Founding Media for your support. If y'all have really been enjoying the show and love hearing me talk about food, or just love food in general, you should totally leave a comment or subscribe to more episodes. But we'd love to hear your feedback. If you guys want to give us a follow on Instagram, you can find us at Packing Taste Podcast. You can even shoot us an email at packingtaste at gmail.com if you guys are interested on in being part of the show. 